Okay, so this is about skips. And they asked the Baal Shem Tov, what should we do? We have kids in the family that are not behaving properly. They don't believe in Hashem. They're not keeping Torah mitzvahs. What should they do? Now, the Baal Shem Tov could have answered anything he wanted. He knew every segula. He could have said, you know what you should do? The mother should cry by Hadlakas Neiris. And then the tears you should put onto a parchment and then write the child's name. And then you should burn that in the Hanukkah Lecht. And then you should take the oil that's left over and bake latkes with that and eat the latkes. Right? And then that's going to help the child. Baal Shem Tov knew everything. He knew every skula, every Kabbalah. What did he say? He said, you should treat them with more love. And because of that, that was the actual medicine that healed the problem. So this is really where we're starting from. We're starting off that we have a problem. Now, most of you don't really think about the problem. You think about how annoying this problem is. Right? That's your problem. But there's a problem before the problem. Right? Most parents come to me and they say, oh, my kid is dropped out of school, or my kid is not behaving, or my kid's doing Averis. But that's not the problem. That's the result of something that's going on for a very, very long time. And that is the real problem. And that thing that is the real problem needs to be treated. What's the treatment? So the Baal Shem Tov says, extra love. Extra love is the treatment for the actual problem. Okay? So just, you, can, you can use that. It's like on an airline. You don't have to share. You each have your own armrest. Okay? Um, so if a person has a headache and we don't give Tylenol, then the headache doesn't go away. So then you have a sibling with a headache that doesn't go away. And if a person, a sibling, has a headache that doesn't go away, they stop going to school because they can't concentrate, and then they don't eat, and then they're grumpy, and then they're grouchy, and then you have five years of problems. And you'll say, you know what my problem is? My sister is so annoying. No, that's not the problem. That's the result of a problem that caused her to be annoying, which means because she's home all the time and has no life. What what did that come from? Oh, she has a headache. Let's say an allergy. You know anybody that's allergic? So they're very annoying people. But the problem is not that they became annoying. The problem is they have an allergy. And if you heal the allergy, then you don't have the problems that come out of an annoying person who has an allergy. Does that make sense? So the Baal Shem Tov said, if you want to know what the medicine for the problem is, it's love. So it's not an American thing that we love people and, oh, you got to love everybody and everybody's allowed to be whatever they want. It's not what the Baal Shem Tov said. The Baal Shem Tov said that when someone has a spiritual problem and he's not behaving properly, love heals the problem so that way they can act normal again one day. And so many of them do. I know that it's hard to believe right now that your sibling could ever be normal. But I've seen it so many times. Over and over and over again. You look years later that somehow they straighten out and somehow they go for help. And if the family is always there for them and is not doing the opposite of love and giving them rejection, making them feel distant, making them feel different, then it's much easier for them to come back. So the first thing to understand as a sibling is that the treatment mahalach, the general thing, the general road that we're going on, is that we want to give love. 
Now, the question that you could ask the Baal Shem Tov is what, what would be, hey, if you give somebody so much love, 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 how are they ever going to learn a lesson? Why would they ever change? Why would they ever be good? Right? The answer is, that's not a question. Because that's the power of love. The power of influence. When someone feels loved by a whole family, automatically, over time, they just want to be like their family. You don't have to teach. You don't have to, there's not going to be like a moment that you say, oh, let me tell you the beauty of Shabbos. Right? Your siblings grew up with the same chinuch that you got. So they know, and they knew, the beauty of everything. Just right now, for some reason, they're spiritually not able to do it, and usually they're suffering with all kinds of other problems. And if we're going to show that we look down at you, oh, Hashem gave you that problem, I look down at you. So then what's going to happen is they're never going to want to be like us. But if we're going to show them that even though you're different than us, why are you different? They're not different because they decided that they want to be different, even though that's what it looks like. That's not the process over here. That's not the story. They always have something that makes them hurt, and they're in some kind of a pain, and therefore they cover up all of that and they just go on a different path. But it doesn't matter why they went on a different path. It doesn't matter whether they're bad, evil, bad midos, uncaring, selfish. doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, if we treat the problem, we heal the peace inside of them that is broken, so then they're going to want to be like us. And how do we heal that? With love. Okay? So that's the concept where we're coming from. Now, Shmuel Birnbaum wrote, when it comes to the children that leave the yeshivas and they go off the derech, everybody should treat them with ava v'chesed, love and being nice to them. Chesed is extra nice because you never know which action of being nice to them is going to cause them in the end to come back and help them. At the end of the day, if we do hundreds and hundreds of acts of chesed, right? Do you guys, you girls, you know what chesed is? Everybody does chesed? Okay, raise your hand if you don't do chesed. Okay, raise your hand if you do chesed. Oh, so you all do chesed, so you know what it is. Excellent. So you don't have to go to an old age home to find an old unhappy person to make them smile. You have one in your house. Isn't that convenient? You don't have to go looking for someone to do chesed. See, I have somebody that in Yiddishkeit is floating away, is not interested in Yiddishkeit, and it's a chesed to be nice to them because then they're going to feel loved and that that's going to help them come back. So there's a chesed just to be nice to them because they're unhappy. It's a chesed. It's nice to be nice to people who are unhappy. It's also nice to do a chesed, to be nice to somebody who's very happy, but we realize is off the path. Because that is a big chesed for them. It's going to make them one day want to be on the right path, because that's what doing chesed to those people does, and that's the greatest chesed. It's a chesed shal emes. What's a chesed shal emes? It's a chesed you do without wanting anything in return. Right? When a person is nifter, we call that chesed shal emes, people who bury them. You're doing chesed shalemes. You're not doing a chesed, I'm going to be nice to you, you're going to be nice to me. I'm nice to you because you need somebody to be nice to you. Either because you're hurting emotionally or psychiatrically and spiritually or even if it's just spiritually. So I'm going to do chesed to you and then if everyone is going to be nice and go out of their way to do chesed with this person, 
they're going to want to be like us one day when they become stable. And then that's the biggest chesed in the world because you helped somebody. Does that make sense? Chazanish said the same thing. There was a story that a child went off the derech and he wanted a car. And he went over to his father. He says, Daddy, can you buy me a car? So what do you think that happened? The father said, you know what? I'm willing to buy you a car with one condition. You're not going to drive it on Shabbos, right? That's what a lot of fathers would say. Now, what would you say? That sounds like a good thing. How can you give a kid to drive a car and he's going to drive it on Shabbos, being Mechal Shabbos Pefrasia? How are you allowed to do that? But let's understand. The father agreed on condition that he promises not to drive on Shabbos. The son refused. No deal. He refused to promise. And then the tension between the father and son rose sharply. Dum, dum, dum. Look what happened when it came to the Chazanish. He said, in this situation, When this was brought to the Chazanish, he advised the father to give his son the car without any conditions. Because enhancing their relationship in this way will eventually increase the father's influence on his son. Hmm. So if you would have said to the father, don't buy him the car, because you can't buy a car for someone who drives on Shabbos, if that's what you would have said, raise your hand. Uh, now, nobody wants to raise their hand. Bunch of smarty pants, of course. Why would you vote for the other way? Okay, so now that you know what the Chazanish said, raise your hand if you feel that that makes sense. Don't be shy. Okay, now raise your hand if you feel it does not make sense. Now, a lot of people will say it doesn't make any sense. What what in the world is going on over here? The boy is going to be Michal Shabbos openly, and, and he's supposed to drive off with a sports car that his parents bought him on Shabbos, and they're supposed to, yeah, have a great time. Raise your hand if your parents would do such a thing. <laughs> okay, whoever didn't raise your hand, your parents aren't following my advice. Okay, right? It's crazy. People don't understand. They say, what are you doing? You have to fight it. We are fighting it. We're fighting the problem with the medicine. So the Chazanish said that, hang on, if, if your kid is going to break Shabbos, so you think that that's over. He says, no, 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 there's a future. You still need to have an influence over him. Maybe he's going to marry a Jew, maybe, maybe he's going to marry a non-Jew. Still, you still need, maybe one day he'll come, he'll come back. Maybe even if he marries a non-Jew, but one day he'll do tshuva. There's no giving up on a soul. So the parents, the, the mistake of the parents in this story was that Adkan, I cannot give to you, which creates influence, after this point. The Chazanish said, no, 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 it's not over. It's not over. It's terrible that he's driving on Shabbos. It's not, his life is not over. So we need to carry you and hold your hand as long as we can, as long as the rabbi lets, right? Everyone has their own rav. You know, each of your parents has a letter from your rav sending you to me. Did you know that? And that they pass everything along the way. If we end up in a situation that a rabbi says, nope, we can't do it, we don't do it. Right? So everybody, everything that your parents are doing, and you can ask them, is coming not just from my rabbis, but from your own rabbanim of your family that are saying, yep, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. So just to open our minds, because when we do a training, it's not going to be for everybody's individual situation. But in general, this is mind-blowing. The Chazanish was a Gadol Adar. Nobody argues in the Chazanish. Not Chasidish, not Litvish. Everybody held to the Chazanish. And by showing that you should buy the car 
that you know that the person will drive on Shabbos. And it's worth it to do so because we still want you to have influence over him. That shows you where his mindset was. His mind was, we're not, I don't care how far he crosses over the line of Shabbos, which is terrible, we're still, we still need to hold on to him. We still need to have an influence over this person in the future. That's the message of that story. Now, Shimshon David Pincus said, when it comes to the people who go off the derech, the children who go off the derech, we have to look at them as sick. It doesn't mean that they're sick in the head. But you have to understand that there's different parts to a person. There's physical, there's psychological or emotional, psychiatric, the brain, and then there's spiritual. Just like you understand that somebody who's lying in bed physically is sick, so too you have to understand that somebody who's breaking Shabbos is spiritually sick. So he says, yeah, it's a real sickness. Look at them like a part of them is sick. Which part? The ruchnius, right? And how do you deal with a sick person? Do you yell at a sick person? Let's say a person is physically ill. Do you yell at them? Do you scream at them? Do you tell them, oh, you're so annoying? Do you criticize them? No. We only criticize and yell at healthy people. Right? No, we're not supposed to. But okay. At least it's a fair fight. If you're healthy and the person you're criticizing and yelling at is healthy, so they can, you can have a nice little fair fight. But if someone has 103 fever and doesn't come out of bed in a week and you're going to go over and say, ooh, you're so annoying, that's just mean. That's just mean, right? So your siblings, a lot of them, some of them are, are physically, seems like they're doing well, but a lot of them are really sick, right? Physically. But they're all sick spiritually. You understand? So when we see someone Mechal Shabbos, the Ruchni is part of them, which affects them not just in this world, but forever, that part is, is not well. Does it make sense to you? Right? So how do you look at somebody who part of their being is not well? Like a sick person. Fine. How do you deal with a sick person? He says a sick person needs love and pampering. Never do anything that may harm him in any way. Only shower him with warmth and love. So you see again that Sadiqim understood that somebody struggling, struggling spiritually, right? They need to be treated the same way we treat physically sick people, which is that we treat them with only with spoiling them and pampering them and being nice to them. So the same way that if you have a brother or sister that's sick for a whole week in bed and they come out of bed at Friday night and they come to the Shabbos table in their pajamas or in a robe or in their underwear and they were sick a whole week the same way that your parents aren't going to say excuse me this is a Shabbos table you're not going to come to the table like that right you're embarrassing us and they're going to be so happy and say look honey you came out of bed that's wonderful come and they're going to give, sit down next to Tati and just eat and they're not going to bother with did you hear Kiddush or did you, did you dress or whatever it is because this kid was in bed for a week. And if there's other people at the table, friends or relatives, and they say, that's the way you let your kids come to the Shabbos table, then you know what we say? Oh, no, 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 she's sick. She's fever. And what does everybody say? Oh, fever. Why don't you say so? And nobody thinks that all the other kids are going to start coming to the Shabbos table in their underwear and their pajamas and learn from the one with fever. Nobody says that. Because everybody understands that sick is different. So Shem Shem Pinka says, spiritually sick, someone who gave up, 
which we know also usually comes from other problems. But even if not, someone who is in Ruchnius is not well, we have to treat them with pampering them and spoiling them and only being nice to them and never say anything that's going to make them feel distant from us. The Chassam Seifer says, we all know the story that Yaakov Ovinu, what did he give to Yosef? The coat. The Ksainas Pasim. Colorful coat. Why did he give it to him? So the Ksam Seifer says, doesn't make sense, that he knew that all the other kids are going to get jealous. So why would you give a coat to one out of 12 kids when you know it's going to cause jealousy? So listen to what he says. Yaakov knew that giving the Ksonis Pasim would cause jealousy. So why did he do that? The answer is that Yaakov saw that this particular kid would have tremendous nisyonos, challenges. And that, the only way to save him would be for him to know in his core that my Tati loves me more than anyone in the whole world. That's what gave him the strength at the time of the Nisayan. A lot of you can be jealous. You're doing the right thing. Okay, raise your hand. Who's doing the right thing? Anybody? Behaving? And is anybody behaving? You get up in the morning, you put in a whole day, and you do everything right, and you say, yes, mommy, yes, Tati, and you try to help out, and you do chores, you do homework, and you're normal, and you're trying to do the right thing and make everybody happy, right? And then you see your brother or your sister, huh, why is she getting the fancy fill-in-the-blank? Right? Did you notice that anybody notice that your, your siblings who are not behaving so well are getting good stuff? If not, you can leave the room because your parents are not part of this group. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. Not fair. You're going to be jealous. But we have to do this. And that does not mean that your parents love them more than you. If you had that sickness, you would also get treated well. But believe me, you don't want the sickness of giving up on life. You want to stay in school and be in the mainstream and marry a good boy who's healthy, who never was off the derech. It's a much more stable shidduch for you one day, hopefully. It's a hard life. It's hard to be normal. Much easier to wake up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and not do anything all day and do stuff that's not healthy. It's much easier. But why don't we do that? Because we want to have a healthy life. And your siblings know that, but for them, it's too hard. Something is too hard for them. So don't be jealous. Because your parents are doing for them what they would do for you also. You know that High Lifeline, they take kids with Nebuch with cancer who are dying and they fly them to Disney World. Wow. Everybody's jealous, right? We all want to go to Disney World. But you don't want cancer. Right? You'd rather one day go on vacation, you'll save up money, or you won't go. But nobody wants to be sick. So the treatment that your parents are doing is different treating the child who's in pain, the kip, different than all the rest of the kids. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get what you need, but you don't need a 65-inch television in your room, I hope. Right? Maybe you only need a 12-inch television. Right? Or hopefully no television. Of course, the parents have to evaluate every kid's needs. You know what that's called? Right? That's like Chanach Lenar Al Pidarkoi. Every person has needs and everyone has to have their own chinuch and it's not easy. And some of you might be hurting because your parents aren't doing such a great job with you or maybe you're struggling with something and your parents don't know about it. It's complicated, right? It's complicated. Is, is, it, is it super complicated 
being a, a kid? Huh? Now that you walked in, you have to answer the question. Is it super complicated being a kid? No, you have an easy, it's easy for you? Hi, how are you? Traffic from Muncie? Okay. It's hard being a kid these days, right? Sometimes it's super, super hard. But you know what's also hard? Super hard, super, super hard? Being a parent. Really hard to be a parent. When you have more than one kid and you have to be a parent of all different kids and everybody has all different stuff, it ain't that easy. We have to understand, sometimes we look at parents like they're Moshe Rabbeinu and they should get everything right. Parents are just kids that got older. They just got kept on getting older. Right? And also they have a lot of responsibility and sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But when you see your sibling getting treated with this like super duper stuff, a part of you and your brain is going to be like, I'm jealous. Like, I also want that. I also want a, my own helicopter. Any of you guys here? No? No helicopters? Not no? Yet. Not yet. It's coming. Right? I also want my own helicopter. I also want a stretch limo to pick me up every time I, I do something or I come back from somewhere. Why don't I get it? You have to understand, it's medicine. Like, that's what we said before. It's medicine. We look at it as medicine. And because somebody is not performing well, so the first job is, if someone is a little bit not doing well, we push them and we motivate them and we do all kinds of stuff to get them to perform. But once someone drops out, I'm out. That's a whole different type of treatment. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a business and your business is making $50,000 a year. Right? So you'll go ahead and you will hire a business expert to give you like a, a business coach. And the coach is going to tell you, hire this person, give this person a raise, cut down this thing, I'll save you money this way. And he's going to try to make two things happen. That you should make more money and have less expenses. And then at the end of the year, you'll make more money. And you'll make more than whatever you're paying him, hopefully. Otherwise, it's not really worth it, right? But what if a business goes bankrupt? So then, you don't call in the same coach, business coach. You need a different coach. You need a bankruptcy coach. And the bankruptcy coach, to save the business in crisis is going to do things that are the opposite. He's going to say, oh, no, no, don't pay, don't pay that guy. Oh, you know, Con Edison, you always pay the, for the electric? Don't pay the electric. I'll have a court order to make sure that they know that we're in bankruptcy and for a year they can't shut you down. You have a year to save your business. Oh, you know your biggest um, supplier? The biggest one? That means the most to you that you always pay first because he's your most important supplier? I don't want you to pay him because he's stuck. You owe him so much money that he's going to have to keep on supplying you and we're going to give him just a little bit and the little guy I want you... And he's going to do everything the opposite. He's going to tell you, the six people in your accounting department, fire him. And you're going to say, what do you mean? I can't send out bills. You're not sending out bills. But how am I going to pay money? I'm going to only pay... You're going to sell only for cash because you're going to cut down and everything's going to be different. And all the normal people are going to say, what are you doing? doesn't make any sense. So there's a difference between a sibling, a child, or your sibling, who's doing well and needs to be motivated and helped and sometimes bribed and pushed, right? And forced sometimes in the right situations. And hopefully to make them more and more and more matzliach to get the most out of their life. And that's probably the kind of treatment that you're getting from your parents. Sometimes they're nice, sometimes they say no. They raise your hand. Do your parents ever say the word no to you? You know what that means? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Higher, higher, higher. I want to see who doesn't get a no. 
You didn't get a note? You don't, you, your parents say no to you? How old is she? Eight? Hi. Okay. Keep your hands up. Keep me there. You got a no also? Used to. Okay. All right. You know what that means? No knows. You know what that means? It means you're normal. Because as kids, we all want stuff that sometimes is not good for us. And our parents say no. And you say, thank you, Hashem. That means I'm normal. Okay? But when you have someone who's in crisis, someone who's in crisis, someone who's going bankrupt, we don't do normal. It's not normal. What we do, what your parents are doing with your brother or sister, and what you're doing... It's not normal. It's called life-saving. It's a whole different approach. We're trying to save them from really bad stuff that could happen to people who feel disconnected from regular life. They're not in school. They're not in yeshiva. They're not in camp. They don't have normal stuff going on. And therefore, we have to do things to save their life. It's a whole different treatment. Okay. So he says, that's what gave Yosef the strength this father knew that I know Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehudi, Sachar, Zavulun, Dan, Naftali, God, Asher, and Binyamin are going to be really jealous. They're going to be like, hey, why does he get the brand new Lexus? Or in this case, was a colorful coat. It was a special coat. Why does he get the iPhone? When he kips around? Right? Well, I don't see what's happening over here. We have to go to work, and if we save up, then we get, we can, we can lease our own car and maybe our parents will help us a little bit. And all of a sudden here, this kid gets a Jaguar, a Mercedes. What's going on? The answer is because your parents realize or were, were taught, and now they realize, I hope, that this kid is in Mitzrayim. This kid is captive. This kid is not a regular functioning kid that needs regular functioning chinuch. This kid could drown. We can lose this kid. Does anybody know how many kids we lose? that are gone forever and they don't come back to Hashem ever and there's no children and grandchildren and great-children, great-grandchildren and the whole shavit of Klali's soul just disappears? A lot. That's what we're up against. But as long as we keep them super happy and yes, we spoil them because we're not trying to do chinuch that a person, a, a normal child, it's not good for them to feel spoiled. Ooh, you get whatever you want and then you grow up to be a spoiled brat and then your husband can't keep you happy and then your your whole life is horrible. So part of being mechanach a child is to say no because that's good for them to hear no. So they shouldn't think that they get they need everything that they want. You could have a want, but it's not a need. That's all very important for regular chinuch. But in your situation with your sibling, their situation is different. And we want to say, yes, 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 because we want to spoil them because we want them home. And eventually, they're going to get smart and they're going to want to be like you. Now listen to this. Very important. Do you realize that your sibling, your skip, if they, if a contract was put in his or her hand, her, let's say, for you guys, and they could sign over here and they'll wake up tomorrow and they're going to switch places with you. Do you know that they would do that? Sometimes they let you realize it. Sometimes they don't, but it's true. Some of you will realize it already and some of you won't, but it's true. But your sister or brother is jealous of you. I know this from the other side because I rescued 
so many kids who I lived together with in home sweet home. My house was five minutes away, but I basically, they were part of my house. And after I got past the outside layers of anger and rebellion and defiance, you know what I realized? That they really want to be like us. And you know how I realized it? Because they told me. Each one had different layers I had to get past. And when the truth came out, the truth was, wow, it's so hard. Being off the derech is so hard. It's so complicated. I wish I could just be normal. One of the nicest things, when I took in the Home Sweet Home Kids, they were all off the derech, Machal Shabbos, doing all kinds of bad stuff, living on the street, sometimes for years. And then, really, I was so lucky and felt so good to see them turn around their lives. And I'll never forget one of them, I was driving with him, and he said, Avi, I wish I was just a number. I wish I could just be a number. What does that mean? When they come, they always complain. They say, they say it's crazy that, um, you know, I was in yeshiva, nobody cared about me, I was just a number. Right? They always used to complain about that. They thought, it's, it's not true, but they thought that nobody cares about them. They're just a number. So he was like, I just want to be a number. I don't want to stick out anymore. And this is a kid that when I met him, he dressed so crazy. He used to wear this, I have a picture actually over here. He wore, he wore this green hat and white tight. He looked so different than everybody. And everywhere we went, everybody stared at him. And he was like, wanted attention. And then just like a few months later, like nine months later, he's like, I just want to be a number. I just want to blend with the rest of the world. So a lot of times when I tell you these type of concepts, you may say, no, not my sibling. But you'll see. You'll see. You think about it. You'll realize they're jealous of you. If they could be normal, they would want to be normal. Um, my friend told me something, and she said like something, and it's like, no, my brothers, they're proud of me that I'm from. They don't want to not be from. They just at that point in life, they can't be from. That's very good. Um, there are all different stages, but it's very good that you realize that and that they're at that stage. There are kids who want to be from, they just at, at they can't, and there are ones who are so much that they can't that they say, I don't want it. You know, there there are people who are overweight. They say, I don't want to be skinny. There are people who are weak. They say, I don't want to be strong. There are people who are sick. I don't even care about being healthy. Everybody wants to be normal. But not everybody can be. Not everybody can be. So then part of the, the stage, when they, when they say, that's very healthy, that they say, I wish I could be, but not right now. Very good. But the ones who say, I'll never be religious, it's just more frustration. They get so frustrated at this. So they feel so far away from us. Right, that that's what causes them to say that. And you have to believe that that's true, that inside they have a nakuda, inside they have a chelikal and and we see this happening, right? We see that happening. We see it happening, that kids come back, it's unbelievable where they come back from. Rav Shamshel Fal Hirsch writes, parents must show equal love for all their children, even for those who are deficient in character, in character, who are in need of love and devotion even more than those who are physically ill. Again, we see before that just like you give love to physically ill people, Rav Shamshel Fal Hirsch says, people who are spiritually ill need even more love than you would give to a physically ill person. So we're, we're all good with, with that. If you have a sister, Chas Shalom, in the hospital, everybody's going to go there and buy gifts and gifts and gifts and gifts. And you're not going to get jealous and say, I don't understand. I'm here. Bobby, Zadie, I'm right here. And they walk right by you and they go to your sister in the hospital and they give her the gift. And you're like, what about me? I don't get a gift. I mean, she lies in bed a whole day in the hospital. 
I'm getting up in the morning and I'm going to work and I'm going to school and I'm doing everything I can and I'm and I'm also cooking and making up for the fact that my parents aren't home because they're in the house and I don't get a gift and everybody's going to walk right by you and they're going to go right to her lying there and give her a gift. Is that fair? Yes. Now, you, you deserve something also. You should get something also. But the point is, we all understand that the sick person who does nothing, who's not earning anything, gets the gifts. And that's what he's saying. A person who is struggling in Yiddishkeit is even more sick than a physically ill person, right? Or let's call it the same, it's a different realm. And if you care about Yiddishkeit, and you see somebody who's not from, and you care about Ruchnius, you should look at them like they're sick in Ruchnius, and therefore, that's why parents give them also more stuff. We want to create the Kesher. Now, what you see over here again, from all of these Tzadikim, is how important it is to give and to create a Kesher, because the Kesher is what saves their lives. Does that make sense? People say, why are you giving to them? The answer, this is why. This is why. You need to give to them. Now, we all understand somebody physically ill, someone in a wheelchair, that will push him around and push him around and push him around and push him around. And nobody, you know, we're human, sometimes we can get resentful, but we're really not resentful, right? Our our job is to push him around and to carry him up the stairs on our shoulder. Why? Because, thank God, Baruch Hashem, we can walk. And he can't, so we're going to be there for him. We're going to spend money to build a ramp. If you live on the second floor, it's going to be a ramp. It's going to cost $20,000. What are you going to do? Leave him outside? Eventually, it's going to get cold and rainy. So we're going to build a ramp if we have to. We're going to have to build an elevator. We'll build an elevator. Is that fair? Is it fair to spend all the money on one kid just because he can't walk upstairs? The answer is yes, because, because you have to use your money to give every kid what they need. And if someone who's physically ill has this need, of course we understand that. What else do we understand? We also understand Nebuch children who are special needs. Nobody ever gets angry at them. They can do whatever they want. They're so lucky. They're not lucky. You're saying they're not lucky? Why are they not lucky? Because they're not normal. Right. Nobody would trade places with them. But we understand them. And we give and give and give and give and give. What about this? But what about that? So what we learn from the Baal Shem Tov and the Chazanish and Rav Shem Shem Pinkis and Rav Shem Shem Hirsch and Rav Shmuel Birnbaum, and that's just a small taste of the rabbis that are teaching us, they're saying that this kid we have to look at is the same as the other kids. He's not the same in the area of mental or physical, but there's something called spirituality. There's something called Ruchnius. And there are people who are thriving and they're healthy in Ruchnius, and there are people who are not. Someone who's born from, and he's keeping Shabbos, and he goes to school, and he's learning about Torah and all of that, in Ruchnius, he's 80, 90, 100. If he breaks Shabbos, we have to understand, in that category, he's not functioning. Let's understand financial. Right? There's physical emotional, spiritual. What about financial? If Chas Shalom is a family member that goes bankrupt, so we also have to look at them as sick. It's not insulting. We have to realize we have to spend more time with that person. They're going through a crisis. We have to give them money. You have to raise money for them. You have to take care of them. So why all of a sudden with Ruchnius do we think we don't have to take care of them? Of course we do. Right? It's not insulting. The only thing is they, financially, 
broke person will say thank you for the money. He is going to say, no, I don't need Shabbos. Right? I don't need Olam Haba. It's not true. Because really they want it. And really they're going to have, Be'ezus Hashem, they're going to have Olam Haba. And they're going to do Tshuva. But for your sake, if you, if you care about Olam Haba, and you want your brother or sister to be there, so in Ruchnius, they're bankrupt. So you have to give them the same treatment for any kind of bankruptcy, for any kind of deficiency, for any kind of sickness. So don't get me wrong. It's not that we're saying, oh, everybody goes off to Derek is mentally ill. No, they're spiritually ill. In Ruchnius, they're ill. Now, some of them are doing it because they really do have emotional problems. They went through pain or something challenging, which we can't get into right now, right? which a lot of you know that your siblings went through really tough stuff that broke them. But it doesn't matter why. Even if it's a big Yetzirah, just like you could be financially broke but be a really nice person and very healthy, right? You could be physically sick but be a very nice person and very from. You could be spiritually bankrupt, still be a nice person and very healthy. There's all different realms. So how do you heal and treat someone who in the realm, in the category of Ruchnius is falling? And the answer is with love. You spoil them. Because they're struggling in that area. Um, does the person, the person who, let's say he or she, she does not understand, he or she does not understand that she's mentally ill. And not only that, she refuses the medicine that will make her better. Okay, so right now we're talking about spiritually ill. That's an excellent question. Not let's g- Ill. Let's say spiritually ill. Spiritually ill, they don't take medicine for that. So you're talking about that they're physically not healthy, emotionally not, spiritually not healthy. I mean, they're they're working, they're up, and they're doing fine. They just not they don't want to be from. Okay, so you missed the beginning. So that's what we discussed in the beginning. So when you hear the recording, you'll listen to it. Okay, it's a very very good question. That's why I started off with it. I started off with that the medicine for spiritual problems is love. So instead of you you know you can't twist their arm. You can't make somebody want to be from. You have to heal the problem. And the way to heal the problem is with love. That's what a bunch of the, the Chazanish and the Balshamtam. But make sure you hear the recording. You'll go back to that, okay? Very good point. Okay? So we have all kinds of rebellious looking people. They look rebellious and they look very sad. They look very challenged, some of them. And this is how we have to deal with them. Now the question is what about you guys? What about you guys, right? It's really tough. It's tough. What are some of the things that you lose out by having a kip, a kid in pain sibling? Guests on Shabbos. Guests on Shabbos. It's hard sometimes to invite guests on Shabbos when they're around. Why? Because we want them to be comfortable to come to the Shabbos table. They won't come to the table otherwise. So that's a very, very good point. Now listen, what's happening here? We have kids who... Baruch Hashem, they will come to the table because a lot of kids won't even do that ever. They're coming, they're willing to come to the table, but they won't come to the table because they're uncomfortable in front of other people. So now we have to make a choice. Do we want to have our kids at the Shabbos table, which is very good for them to be there? Or do we want to have guests and they're like rats, they go out and they crawl into their beds and we don't see them and we deny them the whole Shabbos experience. Very tough um, situation to be in, but a very simple solution. Obviously, guests is very nice. God willing, Amir Hashem, next year or two years or whenever it is, we can invite guests, but you don't invite a guest if it makes your child uncomfortable and pushes them away from the Shabbos experience. 
But as a sibling, you lose out on that. You lose out from guests coming, which is a nice part of Shabbos. A lot of people have guests. It makes it fun and interesting. Kids your age, family, friends. And now we have to lose out because of that. Right. What else do we lose out? Right. Sometimes you don't go away for Shabbos or for a vacation or for a trip. Right. hundred percent. Because your parents don't want to leave them at home. Right. What else? What else do you lose out by having a sibling who's like this? Gifts. You lose out gifts. I'll speak to your parents. You, lo- you shouldn't be losing out normal gifts. You still should get normal gifts. Sometimes parents have to make decisions that are very tough to make. Um, but there should be normal gifts for the normal kids. Right, so that's what I spoke about before, right? That you feel jealous of it because you're being treated normally. And sometimes it's like, hey, why do I get a gift on my birthday like a normal person and they get a gift just for, for getting up in the morning? Right? It seems a little bit un- uneven. And that's why we have to remind ourselves that they're getting it, unfortunately, because they're really in a very, very bad place. That's not a good way for you to, to, to be dealt with. You don't want to go through your life being treated like that because you won't be normal. You won't be able to be in a marriage. No husband is going to be able to marry you if you get treated the way your kip is being treated for all those years and you're healthy. We're only doing it because they're not healthy and we want to have an influence and a Kesha with them so we can give them so much love to overpower their challenges that they're going through and their pain. And a lot of them are going through tremendous, tremendous pain, which we didn't really talk about yet. We spoke about spiritual, but a lot of them are in emotional and psychological, psychiatric pain. So that's the medicine for them. So it's like saying, think about it, when you were a kid and you got jealous that your sister had that delicious bubblegum medicine. And you're like, I want bubblegum medicine. And your parents said, no. And you say, it's not fair. Not fair. She has this bubblegum medicine. You smell it. And it smells so good. And you're like, it's not fair. And the answer is medicine. Now, some medicine tastes yucky. Some medicine tastes very, very delicious, but it's medicine. Medicine will hurt you. So their medicine, because of what we're trying to do to help them stay normal and part of the family and heal them spiritually and emotionally and all of this, their medicine tastes very good. Right? So you have to remember and remind yourself, like I said before, I am normal. I don't get that. I don't want that. It's not good for me. But you should get what you do need. You wanted to say something? Excellent. Another thing that is very difficult, being a regular, normal family. Okay? And the most thing... Yeah, go ahead. Right? Growing up in a cuckoo house? Different house? Things are very different, right? A normal house doesn't have a bunch of dogs. A normal house doesn't have all the stuff that we're dealing with and smells and sounds that we're dealing with, right? And the comments from your friends and the looks, and the smart people that always have the thing to say that makes you so in so much pain. Oh, that's your brother? Looks like a girl. Oh, what happened to her? <laughs> right? That stuff's very painful. Does anybody ever get strange comments and or any kind of comments from your friends that, that you don't know how to deal with? Not that many of you? Yeah, you get, right? Like what? What kind of comment? Oh, your brother doesn't wear a yarmulke? Right. What else? I was going to say that. We're going to make them understand. That's what we're going to get. figure out today how to deal with. Yes? 
Okay? So these are all difficult things that happen. These are all difficult things that happen when you're in your situation. Right? So they asked Rav Steinman. Rav Steinman said, when parents of a teen in crisis are told that they have to treat the child with unconditional love, doesn't that undermine the chinuch of their other children? Right? And the second question was, if there's a kid who openly is Mechal Shabbos, turns the house lights on and off, teases his parents and siblings, how should the parents react? Right? What about teasing? Any, any of your skips, any of your kips, siblings, tease you? No? Okay, good. You don't have to deal with that. Do they make you feel bad for being from? They try to get you to do bad stuff? No, they just like put down being from. Put down being from? Okay. Alright? So you have a kid who's teasing his parents and siblings or they're venting their frustrations out. Anybody, any of your siblings venting their frustrations out on you guys beating you up or, 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 um, acting nasty to you? No? 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 Acting not nice? Nobody? Isn't that nice? Look at that. That's a very big chiddush, by the way. It's a very big chiddush. What? Half yes. Okay, probably new newbies. Probably new new TP families. TP families generally don't have that. It's a very big chiddush. You know that not TP families have kids who they're fighting with all the time and Shomrim is being called to the house and police and they putting the kids in jail and in psych wards. We have never, ever done that in our homes. With all the difficulty that you have, you guys basically have happy homes. We're trying to, to make that... We try very hard that your home should be happy because nobody's fighting. We're not, we're not fighting with them. So the, it's a big testimony that none of you are dealing with that, but some people do deal with that. Yeah? Yeah, my friends also, they have like siblings that are kept and they say it's like so hard when their siblings come home. And I like feel... That was like a few months ago, but not anymore, so I feel better than that. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, no more screaming, right? So we, we take it for granted a little bit, and sometimes we have to deal with the jealousy and they're getting treated so well and all of that, but we, we don't really know what we would have saved. I have a friend of mine that is in charge of Shomrim in Flatbush, and they have a domestic violence unit. I think it's 12 or 20. I just don't remember which one. But it's a bunch of guys that are trained for de- dealing with domestic violence, which is fighting in the homes, just for Flatbush. At least it's either 12 or 20. But it's a, that's a lot of people. And they're busy. Many times a week they get phone calls to come and take care of violence and fighting and screaming and all of that. And a lot of the calls that they get are about parents fighting with their kips, right, with their kids. Okay, And I asked him, how many calls did you get from a TP family? He said, none, ever. We don't have that. So Baruch Hashem, there are some good parts here that we have by doing this that we don't have all the fighting and the screaming and the yelling. Interesting. But what if you do have it? So these are the two situations that they asked of Shtaim in the Gadol Adar. One of them is that how can you do regular chinuch on regular kids when you have a kid who's in crisis and is getting this unconditional love or all these other boundaries, I don't call what I do really unconditional love, but it's the same mahalach basically, same direction, as opposed to yelling and screaming and being tough and all of that. And if someone's open mahal shabbos, all of that, how do you deal with that? So listen to what Steinman said. Parents should gather the kids together and say with tears in their eyes, message number one, your brother is suffering, he is hurting. Now that's a chiddush. How does he know he's suffering? Maybe he just loves eating cheeseburgers. 
See, the Gadol Adar, who's 105 years old, Kanayin Haris Zayin 105 years old, they look at it differently. If you're healthy and you're happy, you don't need to eat McDonald's. You don't need to drive on shops, smoke and whatever. So the first reaction is, he's hurting. He's suffering. Somebody who's acting this way is suffering. That is the first thing. Sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you got to believe that the G'daylam know what they're talking about. That the professionals, the experts know what they're talking about. They are hurting. Without pain and hurt in their system, this wouldn't happen. I'm just curious, from all of you in the room, how many of you can see that your sibling is hurting and how many not? So let's just raise your hand if you see, if you know that they have pain. Raise your hand. Oh, is that everybody? Almost. No? Yeah? Almost. Okay, now raise your hand if you don't see that they're in pain. They look like they just don't care about Hashem and, and just spirituality. Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay, so that's, that's very good because that's going to help us a lot. That when you see your, your, your brother or sister, you could see that, that they're in pain, they're not happy. Which is why you daven for them. That their pain should go away. And you know what happens when their pain goes away? A lot of good stuff happens. If while they're in pain... They are ostracized from the family. You know what ostracized means? They're cut off. We look down at them and we won't look at you and we don't supply you and we don't give you stuff that you need during those years of pain. Then when the pain goes away, they don't want to have anything to do with us. Where were you when I needed you? I went through depression. You guys dumped me out and threw me out. I went through crazy years of confusion and you didn't give me money and you made me homeless. Why would I ever want to be like you? But if while they're in pain, they are being loved by us, and we're not fighting with them, because none of you have fighting at home, which is amazing. It's incredible. We have 300 families, and we've never called Hatzalah or Shomrim. No fighting, no police. Um, we really try to calm down. And, the, and, and what works is really giving gifts and love, and, and physical stuff also, and money, and spoiling. And people say, no, they're going to be spoiled. So instead, they don't give them the money, they don't spoil them. And you end up with a homeless kid, and the house for years is fighting and screaming, and Atzala, and Shomer, and police. It's like, first of all, I'd be very happy if they're alive, and they're clean off drugs, and they're healthy, and they're from, and they're spoiled. I'll deal with that. But what happens is very interesting. You look at them years later, they're not even spoiled. Because just like kids with cancer, it doesn't spoil you when you have so much pain in your life and all of a sudden you get good stuff. That doesn't create that you should be spoiled. Actually, our kips, a couple of years later, become very appreciative. They realize, wow, look how much you did for me. You really bent, bent over backwards for me. And they've been proving me right over and over and over again that they're really good people. So, But in any case, I, I would lose the battle of being spoiled gladly in order to accomplish what we're accomplishing. So the first thing is that they're, cert- they're, they're hurting. When, when someone's hurting, you don't get angry at them and you don't want to be like them. right? You daven for them. The second message is, whatever punishment he will get because of his Chil Shabbos is between him and Hashem. It's not our business. Of course what he's doing is wrong, but that's not our concern. A lot of siblings especially not TP families, they're very busy with the Averis that their brother, their sister is doing. It's not your concern. As Rav Steinman says, somebody else's Avera is not your concern. Isn't that interesting? A comment on this? Yeah. No, I don't think Hashem's going like, to Okay, so that's a different story. Some of them, 
some of them, are really, really Ines and Shaigig and Chayla and Pater and all of that. The rest of them, even if it's an Avera, they'll do Tshuva, Be'ezus Hashem, Tshuva may I have, all the Averas will become mitzvahs. But his point is, you need to know it's wrong. Eating McDonald's did not become right. All the stuff they're doing that we're, that we're not fighting with them about, right? it's not because it's right. Driving a car on Shabbos that the Chazanish said to buy, the siblings need to know driving a car on Shabbos is wrong. You need to know right from wrong. Right? When they dress Natsnias and we buy the Natsnias for them, it's not because that's right. That's wrong. You need to know that. But what somebody else does is not your concern. So a lot of people, they, they, they cross over. They think that I have to do right, you have to do right, and now if you do wrong, it's my concern. That's not my concern, says Steinman. Yes? Um, so you said we were going on before and say stuff that like, are more difficult because we have um, siblings that who are more paid. But there are also things that are better because like, if I was with myself a year ago before we started to be, like, I judge people so much more than I do now. Like, my sibling, my sibling, he went to, like, a, a more modern school last year. Now he's, now he's a public school. But, like, last year, at this time, if I would see a person even go to a more modern school, school, I would judge them so much. And now, like, I, I think back, oh, my gosh, my brother was in the front school. Like, well, it doesn't matter how modern, even if he's in public school. Like, if I know someone in this sibling went to public school, I would not judge them at all. That's very nice. One of the, one of the big nice things about TP for a lot of siblings is that they become people who don't judge people, which is actually a trait in Yiddishkeit. It's called Altadenes Chavercha Adshetagilim Kaimai. It's called Habidanes Kala Adam Lakavschus. It's called to look at people with a good eye and not bad. In fact, especially now around Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, do you know that it says in the Kedusha Slevi that if you want to know if, how you're going to be judged by Hashem, it depends on how you judge other people. So when you're looking at your brother or sister and saying, oh, this person is a rotten person, without realizing that probably they're acting this way for good reason, and you judge them toughly, right? Says the Kedusha Slavi, that's going to be your judgment. We all do things that are wrong. And what do we ask for Hashem? Please, mercy, 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 mercy. Understand that we're only human, and we mess up, and don't be so tough, and understand I have issues, and I have pain. Says the Kedusha Slavi, yeah, you didn't judge your brother that way. You just... You just look down at him. That's why the tzaddikim were able to be down the kafschus people. It's the small-minded people that criticize. The really big ones, they're able to always show how that person is good. The bigger the tzaddik is, the more they can love the lower person. That's what the Nesiva Shalom brings down from the Baal Shem Tov. HaTzadik HaGadol B'Yoser, the greater the tzaddik, Yachol Lehoiv, as HaRasha HaGadol B'Yoser, the greater Russia. So, the 100% tzaddik can, can deal with the 100% Russia, right? We're only 50%, so we can only deal with 50 and it comes a certain amount of rishas, and we say, oh, that guy I can't love. So we think it's in the name of Hashem and the name of Torah. The Baal Shem just said, no, 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 because you're not enough of a tzaddik. Part of being a tzaddik is that the greater you are in your tzitkos, the more you can tolerate the one who's not. And it's interesting because they never teach us that in school. Right? We're always working on ourselves and our tzniyas. So the more that we're working on ourselves, we're looking down at other people. That's because we're not doing it as Ratz and Hashem. Right? We, we have, this is the kind of person I want to be, or whatever's motivating us. But if you do it as a tzaddik for tzidkus, the Baal Shem Tov says, the greater the tzaddik, the more you can be you, and you can judge somebody so much lower. Very interesting story of Rav Mikarlin. Shlomo Mekalin was a big, 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 huge tzaddik. And he was once, once talking to somebody that everybody knew this was a huge Russia. 
They accused him of doing terrible sins. And in the waiting room was his, was Ripshleim Makalin's main student, Raburi Mistrelisk. He ended up becoming a famous Raburi Mistrelisk, a big, huge tzaddik about Moifis and everything. And he was watching his Rebbe, Ripshleim Makalin, talking to this huge Balavera. He was getting really nervous. Like, why is he talking to him so much? And he was being nice to him, and he was like smiling at him, and he's like getting all nervous and agitated. So Rabbi Shalom called him over and said, go into the Beis Medrash and wait for me to call you back. He threw him out of the house. So Rabbi Shalom was sent to the Beis Medrash, and he had to wait. And meanwhile, for another long period of time, he would go ahead and he was being nice to this guy, who everybody knew was huge Balavera. Would you do that? Afterwards, the guy left, he called back in, they sent someone to call Rabbi in, Rabbi Mistrelis came in, and he told him, I wanted to teach you a lesson. He said, your Ahavas Yisrael was limited. You have your limits. You love all the tzaddikim and all the chassidim and everybody who's doing good. But this guy, that was out of your range. I wanted to show you, you need to work on yourself to extend your Ahavas Yisrael. That's why I was able to be so nice to him, and you weren't. Because I have more Ahavas Yisrael than you do. We all work on Ahavas Yisrael for people who are like us. That tzaddikim said, you have to apply that Ahavas Yisrael even to sinners. And there's a lot of other stories about that, but we don't have time for that right now. Let's move on. So the third thing was, our concern is to try to create a loving, healthy home so that hopefully one day he'll want to come back to us. So this is Steinman's answer. Let's go through the three steps again. The first thing is, your brother is suffering. He's hurting. A lot of you are going to say, I don't see it. He looks happy to me. Trust Steinman. They're not happy. The second thing is, you need to know what he's doing is wrong. But that's not your concern. What is your concern? This is your concern. Our concern is to try to create a home that is loving and healthy, so hopefully one day he'll want to come back to us. Okay. Now, a lot of people say they're having fun. So the example I want to give you is, imagine that if you're walking in the street and you see a homeless guy, and you go over to him and you say, wow, I feel so bad for you. And he says, me... You don't have to feel bad for me. I love my life. I never have to go to work. I don't have to pay any real estate taxes. I have no electric bill to pay. This is great. I can go to the bathroom anywhere I want. I just stay here outside over here. Life is great. So what are you going to say? Well, I guess he's really having a great life. No. You're going to say this guy is so messed up that he thinks that a homeless life, right, is actually a good life. So sometimes our siblings, they say, life is great. Everything's wonderful. I have everything. But look, look what they don't have, right? They don't, they're not gonna be able to get married to a normal, stable from person, have children, have grandchildren, have the life that we believe is the best life, and they're not gonna end up in Olam Haba. So right now, they're not able to think about it. But if they say, oh, everything's great, I, I, everything is fantastic, obviously, that doesn't make any sense. Babach Rebbe was talking to a brother and a sister-in-law, and he said that the most important thing is to make them feel comfortable at home, and that means you, that you siblings, have to, you're in charge of making sure that they feel comfortable here. So let's understand. When you have this type of situation, you have to think to yourself, what's my gain? There are people who fight, scream, yell, talk lush and horror, rechilos, hate, and they, they bring their whole lives into that kind of state of mind. They're full of jealousy, right? They're jealous and they get confused. I think that what your gain is to realize Hashem gave you this sibling in your life. Right? Hashem put all the pieces in your life this is a piece that Hashem put in your life. Be selfish. Think about what am I going to do to make sure that I grow more than anything. I'm going to do chesed. 
I'm going to have rachamim. I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to be nice. And I'm going to give up. What do we call giving up? Vatranus, right. We're going to be a vatran. Mavater. I'm going to, this is, I'm going to work on that. Because if you can work on your midah being a vatran, to be a mavater, your whole life is going to be better. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better mom. Right? Because being mavater is unbelievable character trait. And it's a very, very holy trait to be able to say, you know, it's like the eighth time in a row that she took the front seat and it's your turn already, right? And it's just not fair. So you know what? It's okay. You could have the front seat, big hug, let her have it. She's going through a hard time. That's the focus. She's going through a hard time. He's going through a hard time. We're not. We're Baruch Hashem not going through a hard time so we can give. The weak need more. The strong which is you guys, you guys are the strong ones, need to give over and give to the weak. When you do that, you get even stronger. Very good. Okay? So you're going to grow in your emuna, in patience, in tolerance. You're going to be able to hear another view without getting angry and frustrated to explain things calmly and you'll be a better wife and mother. These are things that girls have told me. So I always, whenever somebody would argue with me, they would go ahead and say something, I would get all frustrated and angry. Now I know how, how to argue without losing my temper. Sadiqam understood that when you give up your Ruchnius in order to help someone out, you're actually getting an upgrade to your Ruchnius. Well, think about that. You're giving up Ruchnius, and that's your Ruchnius. Let's have some examples. Avram Avinu was talking directly to Hashem, and he left the presence of the Shekhinah to go and take care of some... He didn't know they were Malachim. Right? A bunch of Arabs. He's in the middle of talking to Hashem. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. If you're in the middle of Shemayin Esrei, you can't just go outside and find some Arabs to give water to Okay, but the concept is so real. Talking to Hashem, and He says, "Excuse me, God, hold on, put you on hold. I have to go see if there's some people who need some water." Amazing. It says that after Lot left Avram Avinu, Hashem spoke to Avram. Rashi says that as long as Lot, Lot, his troubled Kip nephew, was in with Avram in his house, Hashem didn't come speak to him. So what would you do? If every single day Hashem came to visit you, and then all of a sudden, since your brother, your kip brother, or nephew, or sister, or whatever person you want, niece, moved into your house, Hashem stopped visiting you, what would you say? Well, throw them out of the house, because Hashem, obviously, is not coming to visit me. He's not happy with what I'm doing. And I would rather have Hashem in my life than light, my troubled nephew. But you see, Avram Avinu didn't do that. He said, if I lose light, I'm going to throw him out. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to lose him. Actually, after light left him, because he decided to, it was too much, that whole problem when they split ways. Fine. All of a sudden, a, a partial later, he's in Sadaim. We almost lost him. So Avram Avinu said, I don't want to lose this guy. He only did it because of Chil Hashem, a different story. But for my own personal Avedis Hashem, I would rather have light in my house, even though Hashem's not going to come visit me. Isn't that extreme? Isn't that twisted? Interesting, right? It's a Rashi. Balshemtiv said, sometimes you have to go and talk to people and you can't learn. You can't do Ruchnius. But don't feel bad because Hashem wants you to serve Him in all different ways. There's a lot of different Mefarshim and Sadiqim that said, and the Chavetz Chaim said, you are not born alone in the world. I just read this week a, a Talmud of the Chavetz Chaim he was offered, they needed him to daven for the Yamad in a town that hardly had a minion. And he didn't want to do it because he wanted to be with the Chavetz Chaim for Yantif. Wouldn't you like to be davening Rosh Hashanah with the Chavetz Chaim? And the Chavetz Chaim said, we don't live for ourselves. 
you have to go. He was looking out for who? Himself. Where am I going to have a better Rosh Hashanah? With the Chavetz Chaim. So forget about them. The Chavetz Chaim says, we're not here to live for ourselves. It's nice if you get something as well. If it works out that you can give and you can get, that's fine. But Ruchnis is about the other person. We don't live for ourselves. So he told him, even though it's a big downgrade for you, to, to who knows what kind of a minion he'll have over there, ten people will wobble in, maybe some of them are drunk and they're not religious even, or who knows what this town needed, but you're here to live for other people. That's what Hashem wants. So a lot of times you guys are in situations where you feel like, I'm losing out in Ruchnius. Right? If you have a question, you have to ask your Rav, you have to ask your parents, you can ask me, of course. But a lot of times the answer is you're not losing out on Ruchnius. You're losing out on the Ruchnius that you would have wanted, but not what Hashem wanted. It could be Hashem would rather you to be schmoozing with your brother instead of being in shul. It could be. There are times that that is exactly what is supposed to happen. You need guidance. But I'm opening up your mind to that fact. It's not about me, 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 me. Right? A lot of people are very from, they're very, very selfish. And, and Ruchnis does not work like that. We have to put other people's needs before ourselves. Sometimes you have to waste time and schmooze with people. Don't feel bad that you're wasting time because Hashem wants you to serve Him in many different ways. Chazanish said, everyone says that the bracha shleyasani goy. Everyone says it in the morning. Shleyasani goy. We thank Hashem that you were not created a goy. But how much of a Jew are you? I would say we're all 100% Jew. How much do you act like a Jew? How do you figure it out? Says the Chazon Ish. It depends on how devoted you are to helping out your fellow man. The more you're ready to give up for another Jew, the more of a Jew you are. Wow. Chazanish. Paisek Hadar. Nobody argues with the Chazanish. So how much, think, think for yourself, how much of a Jew am I? How much am I devoted to give up of myself to help out somebody else? And now you have an opportunity in your home Full-time, Hashem gave you somebody that needs you to give up for. This person needs you to put them first before you. Realize that if you're able to do that, that's how much of a Jew you are. It's a Jewish trait. Kedusha Tzian from Babov said, Yenem's Gashmias is your Ruchnias. Somebody else's Gashmias, physical stuff, physical pleasure, is your Ruchnias, is your spiritual Ruchnias. Chazanish said, this is unbelievable. Before Tekiah Shaifa, they saw a little kid he was healthy, he was fine. He told his tati, I want to go eat. And the father said, you know what? Wait a few minutes for Tekiah Shaifer, and then you'll go eat. He wasn't sick. He wasn't a kip. He wasn't an elderly person. He's a regular healthy kid. And the Chazan, Hirsch, the Chazan Ish heard his father tell him, stay for the first 30 Tekiahs. It won't take very long and then you can go home. Is that a big deal? Any of you guys remember when you were kids? You went to shul and you started getting hungry. And they said, wait, wait 10 minutes, wait 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. Right? But listen what the Chazanish said. Although before blowing the shaifer, the meaning is to say, Lam Natsayach, seven times. You know, we all say that. It's very serious. That year the Chazanish asked the Chazan to skip it and immediately begin blowing the shaifer. Why? Because the Chazanish wanted to help a hungry child get home a few minutes earlier. Wow. Wasn't a sick kid. It's like, wow, he's hungry? It's okay. We can skip this. Amazing story. Beis Yisrael. On Yom Kippur afternoon, he went outside and he met someone who was not from. And he spent the rest of the day schmoozing with this guy. And he missed Mincha and Nila on Yom Kippur. Mincha and Nila on Yom Kippur. Can you imagine? Would you do that? If you can schmooze with somebody, 
and develop a relationship. He obviously felt that this was an important chance. He could have told the guy, come back tonight. Come back tomorrow. He was like, no, I didn't get a downgrade to my Ruchnius. This is an upgrade. Hashem gave me a chance to be Makar of one of his people. That's an upgrade. I'm taking advantage of it. And before he died, you know what he said? He was very old. He was very sick. He said, this is one Avera I never regretted doing. One Avera. One Avera I never regretted doing. And then he added, even though I didn't accomplish anything, he didn't get the guy. He did not get the account. So I would say, if I gave up my Nila on Yom Kippur, and then 80 years later, I say, look at all of this. He got married, and he's from, and he has children, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. All of these people are from, because of what I did, it's a good deal. But imagine, I would say, wow, I lost my Nila. I didn't even accomplish anything. The, Bas- the Beis Yisrael said, of Gary said, I don't care if I accomplished something or not. I accomplished just by trying, because that is more important to Hashem than my Nila could have been. Isn't that amazing? Quick, quick comment. We're running out of time. Maybe it did, but he didn't become from. He didn't get the base. Show was Makar of a lot of people. He said he didn't get the guy. You know, he, he would have liked to have been able to say, "Oh, well, that was a really good investment." But you're right. It could be it had something. But even if it does nothing, you're doing the Ratzon Hashem by being Makar of another Jew. And the same thing happened with her Baron Cutler in Lakewood. There was a boy who was Machal Shabbos, and they were going to throw him out of school. And he said, you know what? Bring him to me by Nila. So they thought, oh, can you imagine what Rebaron Cutler is going to do by Nila? He'll start giving a schmooze. He'll get everyone to cry, to do tshuva. Maybe he's going to call the guy up to the front. Maybe he's going to um, have open up the Aron Kaddish and give the guy a safe return and make him swear to, become, to do tshuva, to become from. Who knows what he's going to do? You know what happened? They got the guy to come. The guy sat in the back. And when they started Nila, Aaron told the Baltfila, just go on without me, don't wait for me. He walked down from his place, walked to the guy's seat and sat next to him and schmoozed. How you doing? How's it going? Things are hard for you? What's going on? No musr, nothing. So after Yom Kippur, they asked him, why did you have to do that during Nila? If you're just going to schmooze with him, why couldn't you schmooze with him after Marv or the day before or the week before when we came to you? Why did you push it off? Just for Neil, you had to speak to him? And Rebaran said, this guy is so far away. He's so broken. His self-esteem is so low. He needed to know that he is more important to me than Neela on Yom Kippur. The God Adar had to prove to this guy who was so broken that you're more important to me than Neela on Yom Kippur. Isn't that amazing? And that's what brought him back. So let's talk about being embarrassed, which we kind of did already, Okay. Many skips suffer because they're embarrassed of their kip. This changes over time when the parents and the families das Torah builds them up to realize that they have nothing to be ashamed of. The families which have a strong relationship with true Torah leaders have the most success of building up their kids and protecting them from feeling a lot of unnecessary pain. Let's understand, you didn't do it. If your sibling decides to do something embarrassing, it's not you. You're not responsible for this. You can't pick your siblings how does this famous saying, you can pick your nose, you can pick your siblings, you can't pick... No, that doesn't work, right? No, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Right, no. You can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. <laughs> right? You can pick your nose, but you can't pick your siblings. Right? This is it. So it's not your responsibility, but you have a responsibility here. And your responsibility is to show them tremendous amount of love. And if you're doing that, you have every reason to be very proud. What do you do with the peers? Your friends... 
You have friends who ask questions, tease you, make jokes, whisper about you, and also some pretty mean things. The truth is that as Klal Yisrael deals with being Makarov Kips into our homes, the community will need guidance from their leaders to teach all of our regular children how to understand what is happening around them and to teach them how Hashem wants them to deal with it in accordance with their Das Torah who can guide them. You have Das Torah here. This answers your, your question before and your question. You're here because your rabbi, who your family follows, says that this is the right thing to do. So you should be very proud that this is what we're doing to save our brother or sister, or if there's multiple in the family, right? This is what we're doing. This is what we were told is the right thing to do. And that, that should make you proud and strong. Meanwhile, I advise you skips to deal with this by saying, thanks for your concern, my brother or sister, is going through a hard time right now. It makes us all very sad. I would really appreciate it if you would please say a little to him for him every day. Okay? If you're too shy to say this, you can write it down and you can give it to your friend. You know what I find? When you say that, it's done. It's over. They will never bother you again. Say, oh, your brother looks like a girl. Say, you know what? Actually, he's going through a really hard time right now. We would really appreciate it if you could just daven, keep him in mind in your tefillahs. I would really appreciate that. There's no response from that. And if you feel that you can't say it, write it down. Very simple. Thanks for your concern. Yeah, they're not always so concerned. Okay, sometimes they're just having a good time at your expense. Thanks for your concern. Okay, my brother, my sister is going through a hard time right now. It makes us all very sad. I would really appreciate it if you would please say to Hillam every day and daven for her. Do you think that your siblings, your peers, your friends are going to come back and make fun of you again? I don't think so. Right? This is a knockout punch. This is a knockout punch. So you can go ahead and you can write it down if you don't want to say it. You might want to print out a few hundred of these so you could just give them out to everybody, you know, pass them around. Now we know that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of Sinaschinam. Now, Sinaschinam means I hate you for no reason. I don't, I don't have a reason to really hate you, but I just do. The opposite of Sinaschinam is Ahavaschinam, which means I love you for no reason. I love you because Hashem put you in my family, because you're my sister, you're my brother, you're a Jew, and I love you for no reason. And that is what rectifies the Beis HaMikdash, brick by brick. You have an opportunity to be rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash every time you go to your brother, your sister, and you just love them, and you show them I like you, even though you are embarrassed by them sometimes, even though sometimes you can't fall asleep because of smell or sounds, even though you can't have friends over sometimes, or you're going through all of this pain, but when you go ahead and you give a havaschinam, I love you for no reason. You don't deserve my love. But I'm going to love you just because you're my sibling. And eventually learn how to extend that to your family and to your neighbors and to every Jew. That's what the tzaddikim were doing, rectifying the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. That's how you rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. That's how we're going to get out of here and be zeichet to Mashiach. We have endless chesed opportunities. Just being nice to your brother. Help someone who is down. And Chaim Kanievsky said that these kids are the mace mitzvah of our generation. No one needs to go, no need to go visit sick people or old people in the hospital. You got one right home. I'm not telling you to stop doing that. That's also a nice mitzvah. But you have somebody at home who's down. Buy a nice card, a small gift, show concern, get him food, smile. It's chesed shel emes. Ramesha Feinstein said, you should give tzedakah of your time. We all know that you give tzedakah of your money. Ramesha said, you give tzedakah of your time. And Rav Kuppelman said, you'll get rich from doing that. 
When you give stuck of your time, you'll get rich with, with time. You give stuck of your happiness. You give stuck of your hugs. You should give tzedakah of your smiles. Every time that Hashem gives you a reason to smile, ten times, you should give one smile to somebody else who needs it. How many? How much happiness do you have in your normal lives? You smile, you say, ooh, ten times, i got to make someone else smile once. And what's nice is when you do that, you'll be smiling also. So you actually really gain and gain and gain and gain and gain. When you give, you don't lose out. That's very important to understand you won't lose out anything. Give. Say, it's fine. You become mature. You become... Able to give is, is a fantastic, fantastic trait. You could sit in the front again, be mavater, it's fine. So, you, you, you know, we have sometimes four kids and the parents buy four slices of pizza and a kip will just eat like three of them. Fine, we'll split the last one among us. Nobody, we're not dying, we're not going to starve. Oh, we only have like the special cream cake, whatever, and you eat the whole thing. It's fine, don't worry about it. Right? But that's Chesed Shal Emes and it's building the base of Migdash. Hashem will always fill you up. Hashem will always give you, you never lose out by giving. And be thankful that you'll be able to be the giver. Sometimes you say, you know what Hashem? It's so hard to give, but you know what? I'm so happy that I'm the one giving. I'm the normal one. I'm in school. I have a normal life. I'll give and give and give. You know why? I'd rather be the giver than be the taker. Right? Good. The Torah tells us that if you have somebody in your family that is in pain, you're not allowed to ignore them. It's a love. So it's not like extra credit. Oh, you can you know, be nice or not be nice and you're just not a nice person. The Torah says you're not allowed to ignore the pain of someone in your family that is suffering. Rashi explains that if somebody is sick physically or poor, you're not allowed to just make believe like, oh no, I'm too busy, I'm going to seminary, I have a whole life to do it, I don't have, I don't have time to go to the hospital. You have to raise money for people in your family who are who are broke. You have to go to the hospital when somebody is sick. So too, says Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, when a person has a family member who's not from, you have a chiyuv to be makar of them. It works for ruchnius also. You can't ignore the fact if you have a sibling that's depressed or a sibling that's not interested in being at the Shabbos table or a sibling that's not, you have to do everything which is love. That That is kiruv. That's what brings them closer. Make them smile. Make them happy. Right? That's your chiyav, your responsibility. It's also an opportunity. There was once a father that did a shidduch. And he was very, 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 very rich. And the other guy, he had a, a boy. And so this guy had a girl, and the other guy had a boy. And he was also very, 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 very rich. But then after they got engaged, the boy's father lost all his money. So the girl's father said, I want to cancel the shidduch. I didn't sign up for this. I wanted a rich shver uh, mukhutin over there and to pay for a million dollars for the wedding and then to support the kids, whatever, and I don't want to pay myself. And the other guy said, hey, what, you can't break off the shidduch. What do you want from me? It's not like I'm not giving you money and I have it. I lost all my money. What do you want from me? So they decided to go to their Rebbe. I forgot their Rebbe's name. They went to the big tzaddik and they went to him and you know what he said? The guy who went to him was the father of the Kala, the one who was very rich. He got there right before Shabbos, and he told him, why are you here? He said, well, my mechutin lost all of his money, and he, I want to break off the shidduch, and he doesn't want, so I came to speak to you. So the rabbi said, you know what? We're going right now into Shabbos. Let's enjoy Shabbos together, and then we'll talk about it. But you'll be happy that you came to me. You'll be happy that you came to me. 
The whole Shabbos, he's enjoying himself. This is going to be great. The Rebbe said, I'll be happy I came to him. He's going to paskin like me. He holds like me. This is going to be fantastic. Goes through the whole Shabbos. After Shabbos, he walks into the Rebbe. The Rebbe says, you can't break off the Shidduch. It's not his fault that he lost money. And you have to give him money. Help him pay. Get him back on his feet. So the Chassid was shocked. Couldn't believe it. He says, okay, fine. I'll listen to whatever you say. But I just don't understand. Didn't you tell me? Remember when I got here, you said... I should be happy that I came to you? The Rebbe said, oh, you didn't understand what I meant. I meant you should be happy that you're the one who came to me telling me that the other guy lost all his money. And not that he came to me saying that you lost all your money. So all of you should be so happy that you're here dealing with the kip. And not that they're here and you're the kip. We don't know why Hashem has these things. We don't know. You're not better than them. They're not worse than you. You know that most of these, I want to say probably all, but let's say most, growing up were just like you. And something happened. Something happened to them. So don't say like, oh, I'm so much better. Can you imagine? You have two brothers or two sisters and one of them is in a, in a car accident and now they're in a wheelchair and the other one says like, feels like, oh, I'm so much better. No, you just weren't hit by a car. Right? Some of these kids, most of them, maybe all of them, something happened to them. Something, something's hurting them. And they're in crisis. That's their crisis. Let's compare. Their crisis is, they're not from, they're not functioning, they probably can't get married, unless they have a refuah, which we're hoping for. Their whole life right now looks like it's over. They have no future to be a normal, regular person. Right? What's your crisis? Putting up with them. Gosh. That's hard. And it is hard. That's what we started off saying. It is very, very hard. But you have to put it in perspective. Perspective is you say, Hashem, thank you, my life is wonderful. And the little things that are not wonderful, that are still in the normal category, okay, normal problems. Thank you that you, you didn't put me through what this kid went through, my brother or my sister. Wow, they're messed up. They don't know if it's night or day. They don't know if it's dark or light. They can't function. What's going to be with them? So don't worry about it. I'll take care of my dealing with their problems. I'll be very happy to. Right? We have to, some, we have to work on ourselves to drop the attitude. Right? So we have to wor- worry about that attitude and say, okay, I'm not going to be so angry and I'm not going to be so selfish. I'm not going to be so jealous. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to be mavater. I'm going to be thankful that I'm not the one going through the problem. We have some siblings out there that they're so angry they won't talk to them. Like, why are you not talking to your brother? Because he's not from? That's, that's, that's the Derech HaTorah? To look down at somebody else because they went through something that you didn't and now you think you're better than them? Absolutely not. That's not our way. We feel bad for the people who can't keep up with us. And we extend a hand to those people that are not as strong as us. So that pretty much brings us to the end of the training part that I had for you guys today. And it says optional, but... yeah. Okay, we're we're out of time, but I tried to cover throughout and answer your questions. But before we end, is there any question, any topic, anything that we did not cover that you want me to say speak about? All right, we could in the future. You can send questions with your parents, and by group, I'll talk about it. I can record it. You can you can get the recordings. Okay, and we'll do these groups every once in a while. Let's not underestimate what your family is going through. It's a crisis. It's a really tough time for your family, for your parents, and yes, for you. It's like every challenge that Hashem gives us, 
It could either be a stumbling block that you trip and fall, or a stepping stone that you step on top of and you're going to be stronger. It's a lot of work. You have to work on your amuna, Hashem, why are you doing this? You have to believe that Hashem is doing this and He wants you to have this specific family with all the problems you were put down to. And you have to say, what's going to make me a better person? And what's going to make me a better Yid? Like the Chazanish said, we all say, thank you, we're not a guy. But how much of a Jew are you? The more you can give up for somebody, the more that you care about somebody else, that's how you work on your omidos. We're going into Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and we're all going to be asking Hashem for mercy. Mida keneged mida. Hashem says, let me see how you deal with people who are annoying to you. We're very annoying to Hashem with all of our sin and all of our problems and all of our human shortcomings. Right? So we have somebody who has human shortcomings living in our home. We have to smile at them and be nice to them. And you'll see, if you can do that, it's hard. You're not always going to be able to do that. You're not, we're not all tzaddikim overnight. But you're going to grow from the experience. Go home and tell your parents, Tati, Mommy, I am so proud to be in this family. I am so proud of you. You're not yelling and screaming and full of anger. You're not throwing my brother and sister into the street. You're not calling Hatzalah and Shomrim and putting them in psych wards and into addiction facilities and throwing them out and just going crazy. Make your house happy and fun. And yes, it sounds a little bit crazy. We're giving and giving and giving and giving. We're doing it because the happier that your brother or sister Kip is, the quicker we all get out of this mess. You're not going to have to waste your time here anymore. This is Avi Fishoff, and I can be reached at twistedparenting at AOL.com.